Hello, we are back with part two of Tequila 101. One episode simply wasn't enough to discuss this intriguing and much-loved category. Part one is now available on the Diageo Bar Academy website if you're wanting to listen to that first, and I suggest you do. In part two, Dino, Eduardo and I will be diving a little bit deeper into the flavours and variants in the tequila category, as well as looking into the future of tequila. When you're making like cocktails using agave spirits, do you have sort of different applications for tequila versus, I'm going to have to now say smoky mezcals, because yeah. not all mezcals are smoky. <laughs> um, what, how do you sort of see them as ingredients in cocktails and, you know, relating them to, say, classics like a Manhattan or, or, or even a margarita? What, what's the sort of use case for each one? The main thing for me with all of the, with 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 all of these with tequila and you know amazing Don Julio and Casamigos that we have in Diageo's portfolio is to make them approachable, but have a point of difference. So you know whether it's a whether it's just a classic margarita that's been made with mezcal just to make it a little bit more smoky, um, or to just have multiple layers, or whether it's a you know a, a mezcal uh, martini, um, or whether it's just a you know something like a, a classic let me say uh, a negroni white negroni that can be made with you know with don julio 70 or just and then make it a little bit smoky with a, just a dash of, of, of mezcal on there when i was thinking about this from a consumer point of view i didn't want it to be too challenging i didn't want people to say i don't really understand what um fat washing is or i don't really understand because with i'm talking specifically about about the bar because I'm already at a slight disadvantage when I open a tequila bar because an agave bar because it's so niche, right? It is ridiculously niche. There's not another agave spirits bar um, for miles around in where we've opened. So, so it had to kind of get it right and make sure that people didn't feel stupid because if they don't understand what mezcal is, they're certainly not going to understand, you know, whatever um, great techniques that we use in, in bartending at the moment. I didn't want to over over complicate it and confuse people. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the. I mean, that's really the goal of a cocktail, isn't it? It's to ease someone into the flavour profile of a spirit. I mean, historically, cocktails are there to to kind of remove all the negative qualities of a spirit to make it more palatable. But now that we have good quality spirits, I think it's. I think the purpose of a cocktail has changed slightly and it's to highlight what is great about a spirit and also perhaps to knock back some of the alcohol a little bit to make it a yeah. little bit more palatable. Um, and that's what I mean. It's, you know, having a tequila or an agave spirits bar now, it seems like you've just got such a diverse range of options to play from. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything has an agave quality to it. So there's definitely a link there. It's not like... You know, there aren't tequilas out there that that taste, um, you know, like uh, gin, for example. Um, you know, they they you know these products have that intrinsic agave nature to them. But even within that, there's so many different flavors and styles and characteristics, maturation profiles that you can play with. That you can, I guess, you've just got this license to take any classic cocktail and just switch out the spirit Absolutely. for an agave spirit yeah. of some type and see how well it works. Yeah, and that's what I did. I didn't really go too far away from that. I mean, there's there's things that in on, on the menu that are familiar in name and uh, but very different in appearance. Obviously, the Mira Margarita that 
I created has been really successful and that's an indication of that you know tastes like a classic margarita served like a Tommy's margarita but looks like a glass of water the spritz uh, that we have on the menu is um, a mezcal spritz which is I make a homemade um, rainbow carrot cordial and top it up with coriander soda water to bring out those really nice green flavours that you find in that mm. just is vegetal a earthy sweet yeah yeah you know but 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 when the customers come in, they see spritz and they understand what a spritz is. So mm. they think, okay, that sounds an interesting combination. I'll try it. So it, that, that for me was what, you know, and you can do all of that with with um, with agave spirits. I think you just you can play around and, and, you know, and have great fun. If you've got an existing cocktail menu in your bar and you, you have a look at it, I'm pretty sure that you could maybe switch out 80% of your base ingredients with a different type of agave spirit and it would it would you know it could be quite an interesting flavor um, sensation that you get the worm everyone's going to want to know about this what's that worm doing in the bottle why is it there it's not even a worm is it the Gasano. <laughs> Go on, Eduardo, tell us about this. No, I will leave dinner to, 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 to talk <laughs> I'm about it. I'm, I'm too up with that. Well, it, I mean, originally this was all a, it was a, a market employed by an American com, uh, by an American businessman to try and sell a little bit more a tequila. Originally, it was in it was in tequila. That's how it originally started, and there were stories around the fact that it was supposed to be hallucinogenic, and there was uh, other stories around the fact that it was going to be an aphrodisiac both of those things are completely false but what it was um was a you know just a little bit of a, a little bit of marketing now from a from the gasano point of view um it's not great yeah 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 i don't know how properly it was but um has anyone interviewed a gasano can we get one on the podcast <laughs> might be good to try um <laughs> Yeah, but I, I mean, I think now you you know this more than me, Eduardo. That casanos and and you know and ed, edible insects. The more edible insects uh, consumed in in Mexico than any other country, and 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 it's and they're delicious, right? And I, you know, really enjoy it when when I have that experience there. So I think it's just one of those things that someone was like, yeah, let's drop it in there and let's continue to to do that. But it's there is. Yeah, no, I just say it was it's a, it was a market employee. Uh, it helped to sell. Right. Okay. I, I, so that goes against my. I heard once, which is obviously wrong, that it was used traditionally as a proof of, I want to say quality, quality, but what I mean is alcohol strength. Mm. So that being that if the alcohol strength, if it was diluted too much, the product, then it would rot mm. and make the thing go cloudy. But the fact that it was preserved suggested that it was high strength spirit and therefore you know, worth spending money on. But to my knowledge, there's two different types of the, the gasanos, the, the gasano blanco and the, and the rojo, no? Yeah. And then, and, and grow in different parts of the, uh, of the agave plant during its, its lifespan. Because it's the larvae of a, of a, what is it, a fly or a beetle or a, some sort of insect, right? It's a larvae, not a worm. Larvae, larvae, yeah. yeah. I heard that too, but I think the cheap mezcal that we found with the gusano, it was low quality one, mm. which was a problem. And that obviously put many people off about mezcal or even tequila back mm. uh, in the days well it's a gimmick isn't it as yeah. part of the, 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 what i'm trying to establish is does the gimmick have any historical credibility to it or is it just a complete you know just it's just putting it i i hear what you said but i i, I, I don't know yeah all right cool um next m- bit on the myth busting round um does mezcal contain mescaline 
<laughs> Which obviously the answer is no. no. I don't know who perpetuated this no. ridiculous myth. But as I mentioned, mezcal comes from the Nahuatl mezcali, which means cooked agave. So, to sort of round this up... What did you think of the casa? Oh, yeah, thank you for actually asking. I was going to try and segue that in at some point. <laughs> it's lovely. I mean, we were sort of talking, I think, near the start of the podcast about how mezcal can be a little bit challenging for a lot of people to get into. Um, certainly, I think my first experiences of mezcal I went way in at the deep end um, with some really intense, smoky mezcals um, that I tried later on into a night. And um, it's not the right time to be doing that, and it's not the right product to be sort of dipping your toe into the mezcal category, I don't think. Um, but this is is really nice. It's certainly smoky, but it's not aggressively smoky. There's a softness to it as well a sort of freshness that balances that smokiness out. And you'd quite happily sit there and just sip it. Yeah. Um, and equally, it could be used, you, you know, you wouldn't, like some mezcals, you put five mil into a cocktail and it's still smoky as hell. Whereas this, you could use a decent measure of it as a base of the cocktail yeah. and it wouldn't be dominating the drink with yeah. its smokiness. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, um, it's a great introduction into, you know, into mezcal and, what, and, and for people to discover what it's all about, but also to understand the nuances and the differences between tequila versus mezcal and espadin versus Weber. Um, it has enough depth of flavour and the characteristics there to, to, to be able to carry itself nicely if you're sipping it, but also enough depth to be able to cut through Cut through a taco quite nicely as well, wouldn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. thought you were going to bring some tacos. Yeah, I, I can get any in time. <laughs> you didn't tell me, bro. Mm. But yeah, coming back to, to when and how to experience mezcal, you have to start from drinking mezcal. I mean, from, from the beginning, mezcal and water. Enjoy the journey. It's a different experience to drinking tequila, right? It's it's not the same. Well, drinking drinking anything else because of the raw material. I mean, if you think about the raw material of any spirit, it's weak. Whereas in mezcal, you need five, seven, ten, twenty-five years to for the plant to be ready, mm. and the plant has been there, you know, getting all the energy from from, from Mother Earth in a way. Oh, I like this. There's, there's more to it than just converting starch into sugar. You've got something that's sort of time-honoured and matured in that plant that is ready to react with your body and yeah, send you in a, in a certain direction. It's a fascinating um, category, I think, and it's also one that people are, are super, super interested and engaged in. I'll probably get more questions about mezcal. Um, then I do about tequila in, in my bar. Yeah, well, there's definitely a, a lot of curious people around Mascana because I think because obviously it's it's just not been in known to people in Europe for as long. Um, they know tequila, and so they use that as a springboard. But they realise and respect that mezcal is different, and as we found out, to, like during the recording this podcast, extremely complex. So. There's going to be a lot of inquiry into it to, to work out where the boundaries of production are, what the flavour spectrum of mezcal is, how you might use it in cocktails, how well, when the, you should sip it. The thing is that, I mean, I think mezcal is the wine of the spirits, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Depending on the agave spirit that you use, will give you a different flavour, same similar to wine. 
wine from Bordeaux will give you is a, is a different than from Chianti or from La Rioja, right? Yeah, it will it will it will yeah. exactly it will happen exactly the same with mezcal, depending on where the agave grows and where it's where it was produced. Mm. Yeah, this is it. I guess if you've grown an appreciation for tequila and learned to respect the agave, in that case, the blue agave, then when you come to mezcal, you're kind of broadening. You need to. It's like a prerequisite. You have to broaden that respect into other types of agave and then start to explore them. And like you say, then it's almost like comparable to grape variety. So just speaking about serves, um, what about, let's talk about some of the more famous serves and how we might, I guess, perfect these drinks, how they're currently being received, how they can be sort of maybe mixed up a little bit to bring them in the 21st century. So I'm talking about things like margarita, Paloma, tequila sunrise. Yeah. <laughs> Good old sunrise. Because you got the Mirror Margarita at Hatcher. Yeah. Um, which recently won an award, basically yeah. the UK's best cocktail. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. Um, yeah, so you. talk to us about your sort of methodology of margaritas. How, when you opened Hatcher, how you went about approaching that drink, knowing that it's sort of iconic in, in the tequila context? Yeah. I mean, it was a. Uh... It's quite a challenge because you talk about margaritas, like you know, and a margarita has to be um, the number one serve in your bar. So for me, it was about creating something that was very familiar in 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 taste, but different in appearance. It's proved to be like a, a massive. I mean, I, yeah, it's great, you know, winning uh, winning an award. It was absolutely. It was unexpected, and it was also really. Yeah, it's quite humbling, but I think that the thing that really made me quite excited about it was seeing how well it was going in the bar. So we opened the 1st of May last year, um, and since we've opened, I think the last count a couple of weeks ago was around 7,000 Mira Margaritas that we sold, and we, we our capacity of, of the bar is 38, so <laughs> that's a lot. Um, it outsells, yeah. It outsells everything else. I mean, we have you know, additional ten seats outside in the summer as well. But it's still, the point is, it's a small bar, um, and um, a lot of people come in asking for now come in asking specifically for that margarita. It outsells everything, outsells everything else. But we have mirror, two different versions of the mirror margarita uh, on, on our on our menu. But we also have a Tommy's margarita as well. And when we do uh, stats at the end of when we look through the data at the end of the the week they will always be the three most popular cocktails, um, closely followed by probably the Paloma um, and a variation of the uh, Negroni that we have on there. But what it really means to me is that you can't ignore the fact that people associate agave spirits with, and tequila specifically, with with a margarita. My original plan, which I'm glad I didn't do, was I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have any tacos, because I want to just do like other type of Mexican foods and I'm not going to have any margaritas. And then when I started this, before I started doing research, which is in my mind, and then I started doing research and I went up and down and spoke to, you know, all of the bars and I was like, what's your number one seller? And I go, margarita, margarita. With a taco. Yeah, with a taco. <laughs> I was like, right, okay, that's sorted. <laughs> and our number one sellers. And Paloma, because Paloma, I think, is probably my favourite tequila cocktail. Just trying to think. Yeah, probably. We picked it up, didn't we, in the Blanca, the Don Julio Blanca, that grapefruit characteristic. It just seems to pair well with, like, pink grapefruit or carbonated grapefruit soda or whatever it might be. I'd say the other drink, 
actually, I'm going to retract my statement about Paloma. I love tequila and sangrita. It's, it's just so good. And like, I've spent a lot of time making sangrita mixes and like trying to perfect the different balance of sweet and spice and citrusy. And oh man, there's not, there are few things better, better in this life than sipping on a really lovely Blanco tequila and having a sangrita next to it that you sit, sit yeah. back and forth. Yeah, agreed. And it is, um, that, that is, again, that's one of the serves that I, I think is quite a, an interesting serve in that you can, you can do something really, you make your homemade sangrita, you know, you have your home uh, recipe and your own ingredients of what you put together and what sort of spices you add and whether it's just, you know, if it's orange and tomato, whether it's pure, whether how, how you're putting all of those things together. As a cocktail-wise, I think there's a couple of things. So I, I would say I do like, um, I, I think tequila days is quite... Um, but then also I think uh, the Torreador, um El Diablo... Well, El Diablo is a great tequila drink as well. Yeah. As a gateway tequila drink, it's fantastic, yeah. right, to get people into agave spirits. So let's remind everyone what that is. It's, it's ginger beer and creme de cassis, cassis. right? Yeah. 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 Tequila yeah. Cristalino. Mm. Is this a sort of up-and-coming trend? The Don Julio 17 in particular I can talk about first and then and talk about the, the actual um, rise of that category because it's not legally defined anywhere, the mm. category, which is what makes it quite interesting. Uh, but with Don Julio 17, what... What um, Enrique de Colso, our master distiller, wanted to do when he was creating this was he wanted to get the best of both worlds. So he wanted to use uh, the characteristics that you find in a Blanco tequila with the complexity that you find in an Añejo. Um, it becoming clear was purely uh, a byproduct of what he wanted to do of making those together. That his intention wasn't to do that. He experimented for quite a few years. Uh, and then he realised that actually by adding a little bit of activated charcoal, it, it would um, it could bring back certain characteristics and and have certain complexities remain. So what you've got essentially is an aged product that's gone through a filtration process of some sort. It's not filtered over charcoal because the activated charcoal doesn't work that way. It's like a um, it's like a magnet that you drop into the liquid and and, and it attracts um, certain compounds and colours and takes them away. It does, it's not filtered over it. And you come to this liquid that is just magnificent. It's my favourite variant. It's huge in Mexico right now, right? It's huge. Don Julio 70 is huge in Mexico. Now it is our number one, um, our most popular variant that's sold in Mexico. And it's the overtaken packaging the is so yeah. elegant and beautiful. Yeah. So where do you think the category is going to go next? What's the future hold? If you kind of... Look, if we look sort of three, four, five years into the future, what will we see that's going to change? I think it will definitely grow. Uh, it's been growing in the last five and seven years. I just hope that everybody involved in the in the category will respect the, the category and it will make it sustainable. Right? Mm -hmm. At the moment, around 1,500 families or distilleries produce 4 million litres of mezcal. Whereas in tequila, around 100 distillery produce 250 million litres. Wow. So that's, that's the difference. And I think that having half million square kilometres in the denomination of origin gives you give us the opportunity to continue making more mezcal across across the nine states or the denomination of origin. Keep it small, but there's room for more. Exactly. I, yeah. think, I think mezcal should be kept small. Mm. And what about tequila? Where do you see that going over the next few years? I think premium tequilas like 1942 will will continue growing, and I think that's that's what people want to drink. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with everything you said. I, I do think that you know, if you go back five years ago, 
you know the agave spirit section was mm. <laughs> was quite small it's getting bigger and mm. bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger uh, all the time and i you know i can tell you now i've seen the stats of, of how the category is supposed to uh, perform and it is going to perform really well but there's only so far that stats can you know take you the the real the, you know the the real truth and the evidence is there when you see it in like the right trade shows or you see it when you know more and more people come into Eduardo's festival etc. I know there's a few more Mexican establishments that are popping up in uh, in London this year as well and that's going to be so great for uh, for, for the category. Um, some really cool restaurants coming in. I think there's a fascination around Mexican culture which is here to stay. And I think that would obviously help just drive the category forward as well. Yeah, and also that the industry now know that 100% agave tequilas must be the ones to, yeah. to use. Back in the day, or a few years ago, people will just have a tequila as a tequila. Mm. 100% agave tequilas are the ones that everybody should look for, and they can look in the bottle. It's always on the bottle, 100% agave. Right, we have quick-fire questions for you both. I ask these questions to every guest we have on the podcast. You can answer in one word or you can elaborate if you want to. Um, and I'll ask you both at the same time and you can answer in whatever order you want to, okay? <laughs> There's four questions in total. Question number one, if you can only drink one drink for the rest of your life, a cocktail. Mira Margarita. <laughs> Always on the cell. Thomas Margarita. Thomas Margarita, both have margaritas. Lovely. So the opposite of that question, the one drink you'd wish you'd never have to drink again, you want it buried, long forgotten. Roman Cola. Rum and Coke. I, I, I pass and can I pass? Does anyone ever pass? Do I need to give it? This a, would be the first time, I'm so. Not <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not going to pass. All right, I'm going to say um, Rum and Cola. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Dino, you're so like diplomatic about this. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't want to offend anyone. <laughs> so if you could only drink at one bar for the rest of your life, what bar would it be? Etcher. My house bar. Acha, did you say Acha? Your house, your house bar. Did you not say Acha? Acha, of course. Yes. Oh my God, you two. You pre- I think you've prepared for this. <laughs> um, and then final question. Um, your tending bar, you're on a shift and you can have, I know, I, I know how you're going to answer this already. Um, you can have one wingman, like one bar back or one person to be bartending with anyone on the planet. Who would it be? Don't choose each other. Uh, I'm, and I'm... it can be fictional as well or, or, or alive and dead, anyone. Oh, well, alive, I'm definitely going to say Jake Berger. Um, that, I'd, I'd like to have Jake uh, for, for one, <laughs> one night. He's been on the podcast. We did the gin episode with him. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, dead, I, I, I would say. You don't have to give me two answers. No, you can no, just go with Jake. I just, no, what's his name? Um, Oliver Reed would be quite Oliver good. Reed? Yeah. Oh my yeah, I mean, he's a bit like Jake, really, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jake would be happy with that. <laughs> be a fun shift, right? <laughs> it would be, be yeah. a really fun shift. I will say uh, Jake too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fantastically original answers, guys. Um, Well done. That has been so enlightening. It's been a pleasure to have you here. I think the, the thing that I've really taken from this is the unbelievable diversity within the agave spirits category how unique a spirit it is we're talking about here how special it is the fact that we're celebrating this one plant albeit with many many varieties and the many different spirits that can come out of that 
um, and, and how we can then go on to use them within a bar, within cocktails, or as serves as sipping spirits, um, which are respected, most importantly of all, that are enjoyed, appreciated for what they taste like um, and how they've been made. Um, it's fascinating stuff, and it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Bar Chat. Visit diageobaracademy.com for access to more podcast episodes and exclusive content. See you next time.